massive episode if you are a Grom Spiro in Australia learning how to start. Really good news today. There's going to be a bunch of qualified people in spearfishing clubs around the country that are now going to be teaching free dive courses for Spiros. Today we chat about all about it. Tom Sandstrom joins me for at least 45 minutes before Adam Cern drops in as usual late. <laughs> There's a shot at Adam for you. Shots fired. Um, but I had an absolute ball chatting with Tom and then Adam joins us later and we talk all about how a whole bunch of like really cool people from spearfishing clubs around Australia have been put through this instructor training course um, here with Adam Stern. And if you are interested in one day becoming an instructor yourself, then you're going to enjoy this. If you are a Grom or if you're interested in just spearfishing clubs and improving the way we do this thing and the way we educate our noob Spiros, this is a cool episode. Tom's a mad dude and he's uh, been a listener for a long time and I've really wanted to just chat with him more anyway. And uh, I feel like I'll probably be reaching out to Tom again and hanging out with him again, possibly at one of the the comps they run down there, the the Coffs Blue Water. But um, anyway, I wanted to get into this. We're gonna we're gonna chat all about this with Tom in just a second. Before then, I had a ton of shout outs. Now, if you ever hear anything on the Noob Spirit podcast and you're not sure where to find the links, I would encourage you to go up into the noobspiro.com. Head up into the show notes. There's a podcast section and scroll down and you'll find the episode. This one today will just be titled Australian Spearfishing Courses. So if you go to noobspiro.com, go to the podcast tab, find the show notes for this. I'm going to link this thing up here. It's with William William Forbes, who is doing evidence-based research into breath hold training for freedive spearfishing, well, for freediving really, but also highly applicable to Spiros. Um, the instructions there for entering this study are right there, but obviously the more people he gets, the larger sample size, uh, the the better and the more effective and, and the more um, robust the data set is going to be for him to work with. So basically this online study will, will give you um, different breath hold activities to perform, and then there'll be a before and after metrics. I'd encourage you to check it out. Go to today's show notes. Go to noobspero.com, find Australian Spearfishing Courses. I'll link up William's email. You email him, he gets you involved in the study. I would really encourage you to do it. Check it out. William Forbes, he's a cool dude. Uh, known from the Brisbane Bull Sharks. Check it out. Um, Another thing I really like is robust feedback, and apologies for the longer intro today, however, I want to do it justice. Kath sent me an email from New Zealand. She said, kia ora from NZ Trek. Hope things are going well over on your side of the ditch. Just wanted to take a moment to say how much I've been loving your podcasts, and then she gets into the robust uh, feedback, which is really good and um, just helps me to do a, re, a you know a better job on the podcast which is 100% what I want to do and this is kind of an issue that's been you know sort of growing in my uh, awareness for a little bit of time but she says um, there are a lot of female spiros uh, in New Zealand and a, a few of them love listening to the podcast but a lot of the language that we use on the podcast, it just it, it, she says it sometimes feels a bit like a boys club. And it's only a small thing, but 
you know, when we're trying to communicate a lot of the messages to Spiros from all walks of life, we need to probably just use a bit better language instead of just he, him, spearfisherman, and things like that. But anyway, she says, um, she's just a little bit of feedback for me and the guests, you know, just to be aware that it's not just boys that go spearing. And it was fantastic. So really thank you for the feedback, Kath. And we've been emailing backwards and forwards and uh, she's she's uh, it was invaluable, this bit of feedback. Anyway, she says, all in all, you guys are making a killer podcast. Appreciate the time and effort that goes into making each one. Loving the content and style of presentation. Keep up the hard mahi. And uh, so thanks for that, Kath. I, I, I like the emails that give me some constructive criticism as well. So keep them coming. Again, apologies for this longer intro, but um, the Freshwater Worlds at freshwaterworlds.com. Um They are still looking for people to come in and lock down some spots. Um, they've got... Fantastic events. There's a one coming up. Just check it out. Mike has just referred people to the website, freshwaterworlds.com. Check it out. You can see any and all events that are upcoming on their calendar. It's a cool competition, great opportunity to meet, you know, legendary Spiros from all over the planet and uh, have a ball doing it. Um, Also, Darcy sent me a link to a really cool episode of another podcast called The Outflow. And it's really Australia-centric, but they're talking about yellowtail kingfish. Well, you know, I think the greater amberjack is their uh, their sort of their their common sort of name. Um, but anyway, he he sent me this episode because it's got a lot of the science and the data coming in and there's a sort of a panel of guys talking about it. It's really cool. The episode goes for an hour and 30 minutes, but it's just a massive chat about yellowtail kingfish in Australia as presented really from a scientific point of view as relevant to recreational fishes, which Sparrows are. But anyway, I don't want to muck around too much. I've done so already. Let's get into this episode. Tom Sandstrom, really super cool guy, and later on we get bombed by Adam Stern as usual. Here we go. Noobers, I interrupt this Noob Sparrow intro to give you some breaking news. Adreno are opening their fifth mega store Saturday, May the 1st. That's Saturday, May the 1st. They're opening a huge spearfishing shop. I believe it'll be the biggest in the country. Um, on the Saturday, I'm hoping to get down there, do some live interviews, meet some people as well, if I can get the day off work. But Adreno are giving away 500 sample bags valued at over $100 each at the event. Anyone who makes a purchase over the weekend goes in the draw to win a bunker group spearfishing charter trip. Um, the first 100 people in the line will go in the draw to win um, special gear and they'll have uh, videographers there, there'll be food and awesome stuff going on. It'll be an exciting time. Saturday, May the 1st, Adreno at their brand new Megastore. I'm excited, I hope you are too. Partners of the New Spiro Podcast, Neptonics.com. Neptonics offers the best spearfishing gear, spear guns, carbon fins, spear gun parts and packages at the lowest prices. Go to Neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% of anything at Neptonics.com. N-O-O-B-1-0. Boom! Uh, g'day Noob Spiro community, today it's Tom Sandstrom, at Tommy do- underscore Doz on Instagram. Uh, Tom's been chatting backwards and forwards with us for years, he's been a long time listener, he's recently completed his instructors uh, under Adam Stern, Adam was going to join us today but uh, he must have got uh, carried away doing pranayama yoga or something Tom. I saw on Instagram he's chowing down on a bit of lobster and abalone down there in the south. So He did tell me he was going to be in South Australia, so was well, he still running a course down there? Yeah, they've got a deep week, I think. Okay, so what? What when did you finish up? Like um, with your with your course? Is that you, have you met all the uh, requirements? Is it done and dusted? Yeah, yeah, we're done. We finished last Sunday, so it's the 
I don't know what the date is now, mid mid March, and we finished a week ago. Yeah, so that was good. Good two weeks. Bit of a crash course. There was a lot to learn, but um, yeah, everyone everyone came out the other end looking pretty good. But you've been spearing down there. You live in the Coffs Harbour area. You, you you've been a, a deep diver, and you've been in the water your whole life. Um, tell us a little bit about that and what led what's led into this instructor course, and then I want to get right into this instructor course. Yeah, so. I, I just kicked around the, the rivers and headlands with my brothers as, as young guys, sort of south of Coffs Harbour, Yurunga, um, Bundadge and that sort of area. Um, we never really knew what we were doing, but we'd get, you know, brim and blackfish and flathead and um, kept going that way for years and years and years. And um, as I was saying, it wasn't until we sort of started listening to Noob Spiro that we actually learned a few things and, and started getting better fish. And my youngest brother bought a boat and, um, away we went from there we joined joined the club and the older guys around coughs were sort of took us under their wing and and taught us plenty and um still a long way to go but yeah but yeah enjoying the journey as everyone does hey bloody awesome and you've you've turned around like i don't know if you listened to the have you listened to the um death piles interview yet Mm, we listened to it on the way back from uh jervis bay in the car yeah. So, are you familiar with that sort of six stages of, of maturity of a Spiro or the? I am now. I wasn't before. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I would definitely put you in that stage six, that statesman category. Like you were heavily involved in your club. You've been taking groms out, and and like as much as you've learned from listening to legends from all over the world, you've given straight back into your own community. So, hats off to you. Um, is that what this instructor's thing's about as well? Is that, is that uh, or, or yeah. It, it's 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 our club has sort of got to a stage where there's um, a few guys around my age, and then anyone older is well and truly retired, 60, 70, 80 years old, and don't want to have anything to do with it. And then a bunch of young guys coming through, um, and then and then as well as you know, last year there was a few deaths and guys diving by themselves, and um, we, we sort of got together and we're like, oh, you know you see the young guys jumping in by themselves and um, they watch all the, all the gun divers on YouTube with the diving deep with their real guns and think that they can do it. And we sort of thought we'll, we'll get a little training thing together and try and uh, change, change the attitude and uh, culture towards diving deep and by yourself and all that sort of thing. And, and teach the young local guys that you don't have to dive super deep and, Eventually you'll get there, but don't rush the process. Enjoy the journey, um, and and brought them along with us. And it's gone from us training together and giving a few pointers to mate sons to the club growing, um, and it's become quite a successful little little venture. And it, it snowballed. One thing led to another. And talking with Adam, he said, "Why don't you come and do an instructor's course?" And I said, "We were thinking about doing it, but we were going to do it with the club." And I spoke to Adrian Wayne from the AUF, and and it sort of one thing led to another and, and now we're going to try and get uh, instructors in every club around the country uh, and we're going to develop a freediving for spearfishing slash spearfishing safety course that, that these instructors in each club can teach to other club members. Uh, that's bloody awesome. That's, um, that's excellent. <clears throat> um, so what's your, what is your club and how many members have you got? Uh, the Coffs Harbour Blue Water Freedivers. I don't know exactly how many members we've got. We we ticked over 50 last year, so we'd be between 50 and 60, I guess, now. Um, for, I suppose it was four years ago when we joined. There was I think there was six or seven, and 
the average age was about 70 and it was it was dead and gone more or less and the the club uh, scenes changed yeah like a lot of um you know the way spear, the spearfishing as a as a lifestyle as a lifestyle pursuit is sort of it's a changed and evolved over the years and I, I think spearfishing clubs in a way some of them haven't kept up with it like I, I still love a lot of it like they they provide free training and sometimes they have social comps sometimes they have proper competitive comps um, and then of course they lobby government they they and and they they try to keep these community groups going. I think back in the day, sort of one of the added advantages or the, the desires of the average member was to, to get in, in on boats and to learn stuff from, from legends. And it takes a, a, a conscious effort of experienced sparrows like yourself to really turn around and give back. Like I know last week I had a, a learner guy out and it's an exercise in patience. Like, Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly yeah, yeah like, we've, we've tried to really push um, with the comps to like there are a few guys that are, are super competitive, but most of us don't really care whether we get fish or whether we win the comp. Um, and we try and get two or three experienced crew on a boat, and then take one of the one of the teenagers, one of the grommies, um, and just run them through a few bits and pieces, and try and, and try and put them onto a, a good fish or two during the day, and. For me personally, that's far more rewarding than than winning a club comp. They and they, at the end of the day, they don't mean anything. It's just, um, yeah, bragging rights really. Um, and we we have a separate comp outside comps, I guess, which we call best of the best, and that's just a competition that you can weigh your fish in when you're diving socially, um, and that's sort of what everyone tries to win within our club. Um, rather, and we and we use the the comp days as a bit of a social day and just to get. Get, well, not just young guys, you know, new, new crew um, that are coming along, get them out in a boat and, and learning a few bits and pieces. And that, that attitude shift in our club has been phenomenal and that's, I think, why it's growing. And, and like you say, you join a club so you can get out on a boat and, and learn things. And I think a lot of clubs have lost that because people, I mean, it is hard. It's hard to dive with new guys all the time and that's why we sort of just say, just do it once a month. Once a know, month, like, to be honest, I get out probably – Twice a month, that'd probably be my batting average to get out spearfishing. And like in Brisbane, it's a full day effort. Like I'm driving for an hour, and then I'm in the boat, and then uh, and then we're out. And I and I don't want to cut a day half. I'm, if I if I've got the day, I'm making it a day. I get home, I'm wrecked. And um, I, yeah. I think there's a lot of people like that. And you know, yourself, you get older, you, you get busier, you have children and a family, and give, giving time to uh, to new people is is definitely. Um, it's definitely an effort, but it is something that you know good people choose to do. And um, and I mean, none of us would get started if someone hadn't given us some time. So, cats off to you. Um, yeah. Um, with the courses, are you formalising that? Is it is it becoming? Is is this? Yeah, it will become formalised. So this is sort of just the first stage. Um, yeah, a lot of old school spiros will turn around at us and say, "What are you doing?" It. Yeah, you know, we're not free divers. You don't need to know any of that crap. It's that's a waste of time. And yeah, you know, we're not snorkeling. We you swimming around on. You're not swimming around on the surface looking at fish. You're you're holding your breath and diving to to shoot a fish. So regardless of what they think, you are free diving to an extent. I understand that it's a completely different ball game. And and there's yeah, you know, you're not diving up and down a line. But the science behind it all, all that all still applies. Um, and 
once you understand that, I think it helps you become a much safer diver. And once you drill and train diving together, one, it's more enjoyable. You get more fish, you're with your mates the whole time. And, and two, you're infinitely more safer because you know, your buddy's your only safety network. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we just need to change that culture, I think. Um, not everyone agrees and, and um, I understand that. And it is, yeah, we, we've all done it and it is fun jumping in on a headland by yourself and, and shooting a dew or something without someone ahead of you um you know beating you to the hole or whatever but but you can you can still do that with your mate there's more than one hole on every headland and and yeah it's more fun when you're working as a team i think yeah i guess one of the old guys arguments is that like new sparrows typically aren't the ones that suffer shallow water blackout and die generally guys go diving for about maybe a year or it depends how long it's how much time in the water they get but they gradually get if they stick with it and they persevere through shit fizz and cold water and sharks and, you know, um, avoiding all of the other little mishaps and stuff that can push, put you off because if you jump in a day and the swell's too big and your mask's fogging up and the water's cold and your buddy's just already walked, started walking back to the car, if they've managed to persevere through a whole lot of days like that and they've survived a year and they still love and froth on their spearfishing because that's kind of separates the wheat from the chaff, that's when they start to dig into the information and start to learn some of the things that can start getting them down into, you know, your your serious depths where they can get in more trouble with shallow water blackout. Um, but there's risks in every depth of spearfishing, like in 100%, your only bit of um, safety equipment is your buddy. I, I, I agree with you. But it seems to be that, that year mark or maybe a little bit beyond where they really start to push the depth and push their limits. And then if yeah. they haven't developed that good habit or those good habits of having a buddy and being a good buddy, then it seems like that's where the this real sticking point gets. Is that? Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And that's where we just want to mold people early i guess and and get those mentors in all the clubs that um the young guys look up to because if if you're in that position and the young guys are looking up to you they're going to do what you do and so if you're leading by example i think it's pretty easy for the young guys to follow um and yeah it's pretty hard to hold your breath to the point of blackout um so to, to have a hypoxic blackouts is pretty uncommon but when people aren't breathing correctly and you get yeah, it's it's pretty easy to hyperventilate, and every person's different, and some people are really susceptible to it, and other people aren't. Um, but you don't, you know, you don't know as you're coming up, and um, there's a lot of little tips and tricks that that I even in the last couple of weeks that I've learnt that I didn't fully understand um, that are going to going to help people understand their own body and how and and how you know having just a shit sleep can affect uh, what what's going to happen um, and. I think it's important to get a culture around it, uh, being a little more conservative. Um, and you know, I've, we used to push our limits pretty hard. And, um, I've had I've had a samba before, and it's it, it was diving a cave that we've dived a hundred times before. It was an easy dive for me, but I um, I swapped my wetsuit top over. I was in a five mil. I got hot. I put a three mil on. Didn't change my weights. Made a dive into that cave and cooked myself coming up. Reweighted after that dive, and then. I was really like breathing heavy afterwards. My legs were pretty cooked and, and just hyperventilated, had another, another dive on the cave, missed a fish, got my spear stuck in the cave and um, trying to get it out, couldn't get it out and then shot to the surface like a rocket because I you know, didn't quite keep calm and overstayed my welcome and, and got to the surface and away I went. And you know, Luckily, I had someone right there with me. Um, but you know, it, it's just an average dive for us and a few little things change and then that happens and 
it can happen to anyone. Um, I don't think we need to scare the, the, the fear of God into everyone about it, but it's just being aware and, and understanding it and, and how to deal with situations and not just blackouts. There's plenty of other crap that can go wrong and that's what we want to um, involve in this little little program is just general safety, like the amount of young guys you take out and you, you turn around and you've got a loaded gun poking you in the hip or, or pointed at your chest and, um, yeah, young guys don't always think, but if you teach them, they, they start to think and um, there's plenty of bits and pieces and we're going to include boating safety and, and all that sort of stuff um, and hopefully roll it out, yeah, in the next 12 months. The problem is, like, <clears throat> anytime you have the word safety in a headline or in a topic, um, you can immediately see tumbleweeds go past and you can hear the snores start. I think the, um, the podcast episodes where I've got safety in the title have been the least downloaded and that, mm. that, they can be some of the best content. But it's, it's yeah. hard to sometimes get guys to, like, you know, this, it's the same when, when you go onto a work site or in a job site in Australia, you've got to do a safety induction and it's the same safety induction that you've heard 55 times. But... With spearfishing, you know, arguably the the, the risk is um, it definitely needs to be understood and mitigated. You need to understand what those risks are in your particular diving context and then plan accordingly. But yeah, obviously, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys 100. Mm. percent Yeah, I think we've got to try and work out how to make it fun and like you say, yeah, if you if you're just preaching at people, they don't listen, and it's the same with um with the older generation screaming at us, yep, you know, wear, wear a rig line and a float and they say, you know, that's what will save you. But then those two jump in together and one will swim one way and one will swim the other way and they've got their rig line and their float, but their float's 30 metres behind them and, and their buddy's 100 metres away from them and, you know, a rig line and a float doesn't do shit really um, unless you've got someone. Yeah. I'll be able to find your gun on the bottom, but I won't find your yeah. body because probably the current's yeah. taking you 50 metres away from it. But, um yeah. Yeah, but I mean the the float and flag does play a part. Like you know, it can be Absolutely. awesome for your diving context in terms of letting boating traffic and stuff know, and it gives you a buddy the general idea. But um, I've dived with real guns up on the Great Barrier with uh, the Back to Basics boys, and we would um, I don't know if they'd be happy with me telling the story, but they were diving. We were diving straight real guns, and um, it was probably one of the safest uh, dive sessions I've ever had like these boys they work a system and they work a system tight like um, if, if if my fish holes up and we're in current I already know someone's headed down to get that fish because they're, they're watching what's going on even in bad viz they just seem to have um, this unspoken communication a lot of the time and it's amazing when you when you partner up with the same people over a period of years like just so much stuff you don't have to even talk about it just yeah, you don't have to talk that, that makes it yeah, it makes you so much more comfortable. And that's a, we, we dive with real guns a lot, unless it's pretty dirty. But yeah, you know, most of the time you can see each other. And and uh, yeah, you know, last time, last club comp we have, we had um, there was a big school of pennant fish, and I was on the bottom, and they swam between myself and Angus Knox, who was on the surface. And yeah, you know, he it was a super easy dive. He could have he could have smoked one narrows, but he let them swim by because I was on the bottom. And it's just it's really reassuring having someone like that who's not going to, you know, piss off and chase a fish because his buddy's on the bottom. He's, you know, it, it makes you feel safe and you feel comfortable and you, every single dive is, is a good dive because you've got someone watching you. That, 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 that switch where you, um, 
where you choose to be a good buddy and stick with them and then vice versa, like both of you have to have your self-discipline on in order to make a buddy system work. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess it comes with time as well. It is hard when you're, when you're young guys and you haven't seen fish like that before. You, well, you haven't been you out know, for two months. <laughs> all that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, we, we, try, we, don't, we try not to, to preach it, guys, and, and um, give them another reason to do something that results in them getting more fish. Um, even, even little things like when the young guys jump in the pool for the first time and they're swimming laps with a snorkel in your mouth and you say, oh, you know, you don't want to do that because all those bubbles are going to scare fish off and they pull that snorkel out of their mouth so quickly. But if you tell them, oh, don't do that because, you know, if you black out, it's a funnel in your mouth, they, it goes over their head and they're in the pool with their snorkel in their mouth again. You, as soon as you make it relevant to, to spearfishing and getting more fish, it, you know, the young guys seem to want to want to listen and do 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 what you say um and yeah i I, you know i don't i don't think we want to um progress anyone's journey any quicker than it should or or um or you know change change what we've experienced a great deal i just think we want to uh equip guys with you know the appropriate skills to um to be able to handle a situation if if it does occur um i think pool training is a big thing with that because you're training your you know, your own personal hypoxic threshold and, and CO2 tolerance. And, and, you know, when you do get that month or two out of the water, you're still holding your breath and you're still in the water and it, and you're comfortable when you get back in the water. And that a lot of it's just just keeping your head um, and, and keep it comfortable. And you can work on those micro skills without the distraction of hunting fish because mm. sometimes when you're out hunting fish, you're not worried about your finning technique or making sure you're streamlined or any of the one percenters that will allow you to actually dive deep and perform at a, you know, at a, at a, at a greater level than you are now. But, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes that time in the pool, it's just like um, there's no fish. There's Some people would say it's boring and, yeah, yeah, it, it probably is. But but you can work on these very small skills in isolation and when you do go out into the ocean, sometimes it, it it's uh, you can actually – immediately tell that it's improved your dive technique. Yeah, and like you say, all the one percenters, you get enough little one percenters and they add up and it makes a huge difference. Um, it sounds like that freediving course is very much like that. Like you're, there's no fish, you're just working purely on the, the freedive component to spearfishing, which, um, you know, they are different, but we share the whole entire breath hold experience with them. So they've got a lot to teach us. Yeah, and it, yeah, it is different, but... Um, and, and you can still shoot fish with shit freediving technique, but it's certainly a lot easier if, you, if you've got good technique and you're going to hold the bottom a little longer and you're going to be a, a little bit less offensive in the water. Like if you've got a flighty fish and you've got arms and legs going everywhere, they're not going to come as close as, as if you're tucked in nice and tight and you've got your gun by your side and you're nice and smooth through the water. Um, so, it, yeah, it all, it, all, it all relates and it, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't care what, the older generation want to say about freediving, yeah, it's it's a super important part of, of spearfishing. I think one of the fact of the matter is with a lot of the older guys, right, They a lot of the diving was done in shallower than sort of 40 feet and mm. there were fish in the shallows yeah. and the gear was pretty good for that sort of depth and some of the guys went out and they dived the depths that we uh, dive now and it's, the, the ability was no different, right, but um, nowadays – People can access the information, and they have really good equipment, and they and the fish are some are often deeper. So, 
guys are learning these techniques, so they need to learn a different way of diving so that they can do it safely. If you're going to dive shallower than 30 feet your entire life, um, perhaps you, you, you might get away with, because your percentage chance of, of uh, blacking out is, is, is probably a lot lower than someone that's diving 60 feet. I would argue that it's still great to have a buddy even in that depth. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to encourage people to go and, and dive deeper. I don't necessarily think that um, everyone should go out and dive deeper, um, but some people are and, you know, you can tell them not to, but they're still going to do it. So that's where I think, you know, teaching them how to... Uh, what we always were told was don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And I just always thought, you know, piss off, we're going to go and do it. We're young blokes, we know better. Um, and so, and you know, people are still like that. And so I think instead of saying don't do it, say, hey, maybe learn this and it'll help you. If your buddy had a blackout on your next beer fishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of, I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's just not even that hard. Handmade spear guns from the USA, killshotspearguns.com, have made rugged, functional, simple spear guns utilizing the best components Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Save $30 on any timber spear gun. Use the code NOOB. Visit killshotspearguns.com. All right, cool. Let's let's chat about this training you did. So you've lobbied uh, Adrian Wayne and the AUF. Is, is USFA involved as well or is it just AUF at this stage? Not yet. It's just through the AUF. I've got nothing to do with USFA really. Um, but I have I have had a few USFA guys message and call, and we are going to try and work with them to get something as well. Um, but it's we, we, once we get this one off the ground, we'll have a model, and then we can share it with everyone. Um, so for our USA or, or our Kiwi cousins um, and and the UK as well, I guess um, what we're talking about here is the governing the major governing bodies. There's two in Australia that govern um, spearfishing, and most of the clubs um, belong to either one of these two organisations. So AUF has created this um, scenario where they're training um, people that are, um, I'm guessing, in leadership positions in the spearfishing clubs to become spearfishing or freediving instructors. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. The leaders that are also, yeah physically fit enough to, because the instructor course is fairly challenging. You've got to, and I think when we get ours accredited, it might be slightly different, but you've got to do a 40 metre free dive. You've got to do 30 metres with no fins, 100 metres in a pool, um, rescue someone from 25 metres. Um, a bunch of different criteria that you've got to be able to do. Um, so it's got to be someone up to that challenge, but also, yeah, yeah, someone that's good, good with teaching and, and a bit of a role model in the club so that 
people want to listen to them. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, cool. And um, and so the intention is to run these safety workshops. Are you going to run courses as well? Um, so we're encouraging people to get a training night similar to what we've got going on. Um, and then, yeah, once or possibly twice a year, depending on the size of clubs, we're going to run, yeah, run, run the course. Um, obviously, not everyone's going to want to go to it. Um, I wouldn't expect someone that's 60 or 70 to, to want to go along and, and spend their weekend doing that. Um, but I think it's going to be super valuable for, for young guys or people just new to, new to the sport. Um, and it'll be, it'll either be included in your club fees or be super cheap depending on what sort of insurance we're up against. But, um, at, at the moment it's looking like, uh, if your, if your club fees is something like 85 to a hundred dollars, then it'll probably be covered. If you come from a club that's doing it a bit cheaper because they're in your club or whatever, you might have to pay 50 or 60 bucks for it. Um, and it's going to be up to each club really. Yep. Cool. We're going to have a, a little guideline of what we think you guys should be doing. Um, it's going to, because, you know, I think it's, it's like $500 just to do the basic free diving course, which most Spiros can almost skip. Um, well, to an extent, because the second, the second level of a free diving course is where you learn the good stuff, really. Um, the first one is teach an idiot to, to put your head underwater. <laughs> the, the the things I got out of the first one were just some basic ideas about streamlining fitting technique and really practicing um, uh, the the mechanics and the practice of practicing a, a shallow water blackout rescue um, mm. and just drilling that and got, like I did bronze medallion surf tra- training when I was young and that but the disconnect you have uh, kinetic, you know, like kinesthetically, like your body has just sort of forgotten some of the mechanics of these things. And yeah. like, if you think about it, like your buddy blacks out, you haven't done a drill for six years or something. Like, yeah, you might grab them. Um, you might lose a few seconds. You're probably still going to do okay. But it's one of those occasions, one of those rare things in life that you wish you'd practice, I think, at that moment where you go, yeah, yeah. holy shit, I wish I'd just drilled this a few times because I'd be looking after my mate and he'd, he'd have a much greater chance of, um, you know, uh, regaining consciousness and all the rest of it all the faster. So um, that was one of the big, huge takeaways I got from a stage one. But, yeah, I, I, hear, what, I hear what you're saying. No, hopefully, yeah, none of us ever have to be in that situation, but, you you know, you want to be prepared if it ever does happen and, that's another thing I say to the young guys. I don't want to sound like I'm doom and glooming you too much. Um, we're just we're just being prepared for something that hopefully won't ever happen. So this course that um, these the clubs are going to be running, um, hopefully we're going to get this thing going Australia wide, and possibly this thing could take off even on an international level. What's going to actually be involved, and how many sort of man hours are we talking, and how much is theory and how much is practical? Um, so there, there is quite a bit of theory. Um, how much of it we include, I, I don't know, but um, understanding how your body works is is fairly important, I think. Um, and so you can't, you can't cover it all in, in a two or three hour session. So it's probably going to be a weekend and then maybe a couple a couple evenings or, or eight or one evening before the weekend or something like that. So you might spend two hours going through the basic stuff on a on a Wednesday night or something and then the next Saturday you might spend another three or four hours um, doing some theory and then some pool stuff and then you'll get out maybe on the Saturday Arvo and, and you'll go and do a little bit of the technique stuff followed by an Arvo of spearfishing 
and then then the next Sunday you'll you'll spend half an hour going back over a few things and then get back out there in the water and and the biggest thing is going to be how many people and how many um, sort of supervisors there are available at any one club. Can't expect one bloke to take you know twelve young guys out and. Um, about uh, four, so about four, like especially if they're like fairly early in their spearing, like there's just too many moving parts going on there and you're in the open yeah, water a lot of the time. The freediving is day four and that's without guns in your hands. So add guns to it and then you might, yeah. I, so I, I have mates that help me up to learn all the time and I've, I've taught quite a few people to spear now and I've kind of developed my own sort of two-day process to get people to a point where you think, oh, yep. Um, they no longer need me to, you know, like load their gun and just yeah. walk them through every facet of the diving. But two days is a fair block of time. And I and I have some of them go, oh, can't you just take us out and we'll just learn on the fly? And I go, yeah, we can do that, but it's a really shit way to learn and um, yeah. and there's just too much too much to it. And it's frustrating for you if you – they're jumping in a boat with people that have got no idea and particularly if it's your boat and you've got a fiberglass boat and they drop their weight belt and they smash it up the side of the getting in and out the boat all all little things like that um <laughs> yeah just there's there's a lot to consider um but, but we're sort of we're, we're getting there and um there's a lot we've got to nut out um and we're, we're certainly in the early stages but it's it's um it's all looking promising and it's it's good it's going to be really good to get the the training sessions underway in all the clubs too. I think um, once once all the clubs sort of get a really well structured training program going on, that they'll not only be teaching everyone the good stuff, but they'll find a huge increase in numbers that are interested in coming along um, and joining up with the clubs. Which financially for clubs is is a big thing, and um, the more people you get involved, the more fun it is for everyone. The more people you got to have a beer with at the end of a comp, or that you know. And so I, I think it, it all starts with those sort of little little training things, and then we get pe- we get new people every week, and not all of them stay, but some of them do. And um, we've had, we've you know we've got a bunch of girls that are coming along that have never spearfished, but think it looks like fun, and and you know they're they're starting to get fish. And then we've got a young guy who lives up the road from me who couldn't swim uh, about nine months ago, and you know he, he can do a full twenty five meter lap underwater on one breath now, and and. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a really good way to, to to grow the club as well as teach people, and you know I'm, I don't like socialising really, so it's my little social outlet as well because um, I'm not particularly interested in going out to the pub on a Saturday night or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. having a real practical outlet where you can train, you can learn some of the micro skills, you can socialise, you can plan events in the future, and um, those regularly sort of scheduled in events. Uh, as long as the workload's shared and you've got a decent sort of training structure and that, like I like getting in the pool and um, swimming around with a bunch of people that love spearfishing. Like um, even though we're in a pool and there's no fish, it's 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 in, in some ways it's even better because like when you're out on the boat and the focus is hunting and putting fish in the in the in the esky, the cooler, the chili bin, the 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 focus sort of goes out of um, sometimes just the friendships and the social aspect. So like when but when you're just training in a swimming pool um the stakes aren't so high so you can sort of relax a bit more and but you still get the training in it's a it's a good balance i like it yeah and you, you catch up and you talk a bit of shit and have a laugh and um but yeah and we're not there to compete with each other we're just there to have fun and it's yeah yeah it's a good time and you you know you, you come out of it feeling good so you know carbon dioxide is is 
he's a narcotic. That's why you feel good when you hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's a that's a good insight. I actually didn't think of that. Um, if guys are interested in joining any spearfishing clubs, I'd encourage them to go to noobspear.com. Up in the menu there, there's a spearfishing club connections page, and uh, it's broken down into countries and. Um, I've got a really good directory going there. Like it's pretty comprehensive for Australia. There's quite a few in the US and there's um, quite a few in the New Zealand as well. If your if your club is not in there, I'd love it if you just follow the instructions in there. Reach out to me and pump it in. But um, we're going to try and keep up with uh, what Tom's doing here with these with these courses and how they unravel in the future. And I'll keep you informed on the podcast. But also, if you want to go to auf.com. .au, you will learn more about what's happening there as well, I'm sure. But um, I wanted to move on, Tom. Uh, I wanted to really get into your freediving and spearfishing journey. So you you grew up in that sort of, is it? Well, yeah, I was in Dorigo, which is about 45 minutes from any ocean. It's in the hills behind behind Coffs. Um, but Dad grew up spearfishing in Sydney and um, – came up here and then had the kids and we sort of spent a lot of time at Yurunga every weekend really. We'd be down the hill and either surfing or, or diving and, or, you know, or fishing. And then as, as we got a bit older, sort of it became a, you know, once every couple of months sort of thing, you know, partying and whatever got in the way. And so there was a little bit less spear fishing. And then I moved around the East coast a bit and then ended up back here. And uh, my partner, Lisa, her dad was a commercial fisherman for about 30 years in Coffs and he was a, a dead keen Spiro and good good mates with Brett Verco and that that sort of class of diver. So he, he was pretty knowledgeable and he, you know, hanging out with him got the bug back in a big way. Yeah, right, eh? Um, he, he, he takes his boat up to Fitzroy Reef every year and so we go, go up there and spend a week out there on the boat. And, um, and yeah, it sort of... It sort of really it came back when I when I moved back to the Coffs area when I was, oh, I can't remember how old I was now, but a little while ago now. <laughs> um, and, and I can't ever see myself going anywhere because it's spectacular here. Um, well, a lot of people... A lot of people complain, and I think people new to the area, like I've, I've driven through too and ended up sort of heading down more to Kempsey and diving some of the headlands down around there. But I think one of the, the things with Coffs is there's, there's a lot of green zones, particularly on the inshore stuff. Is that correct? Is mm. that? Yeah, yeah, there are, and um, a lot of people do whinge about it, and I can understand it to an extent. Um, and it, you know, Sometimes you think it would be nice if they spread it out a little bit and gave some gave some other areas a few of them and opened a bit up to us but um at the same time i you know not for all not for the entire fishery but for a lot of species it's the reason we have got so many big blue bars and blue bar parrotfish and mangrove jack and and the snapper fishery here is relatively healthy um does get a lot of pressure i think the jewfish around the east coast of australia are, are in a lot of trouble but in coughs we've got large areas where they're protected and so our fishery is relatively healthy i think compared to the rest of the country for for jewfish and um it's i think i think it's pretty important to have those protected areas in a, in a place like coughs um there, there's a lot of people come here recreational fishers and we didn't have the sanctuary zones i think we'd have a hard time catching a lot of fish we do 
Yeah. What about so? Are you dealing with a lot of sandy coastline? Is there is the structure sort of few and far between there, or have you got quite a lot of reef? And what's the bend yeah, cost like? It's reef everywhere. Um, most headlands have got <clears throat> some sort of reef off them, and then you know the headlands are pretty good for dewfish as long as the vis and the swell lets you get in there. And then there's usually a reef trailing off most headlands. There's a there's a few that don't have a great deal of um, structure, but you only have to get a few hundred metres off off the coast and it's it's reef again. And I mean, from b- between between Evans Head and Southwest Rocks, really, it's it's just a whole lot of reef and a lot of it is fairly deep, but there's plenty available. And a lot of the local guys sort of know more of the inshore reef. And so we've got a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of spots that we can sort of rotate. Um, the, the more obvious places like South Solitary and North Solitary where there's a big island sticking out of the ground, they, they cop a lot of pressure, but there's, there is a lot of ground here to cover and it, we're pretty lucky. That idea of rotating through spots and sort of sharing the love around the reef systems instead of just going to the same three spots every time you go spearfishing is a, a huge thing that – to be honest, I still struggle with. Like um, when you when you get out when you get out them frequently, there's a real temptation to just go and bash those same few spots that have that been. Caught. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a bad habit of a lot of spiros. What What's your advice to them? Um, go and uh, go and learn some new ground because you'll find another one, and then, and then you'll have four spots to go and, go and bash. But you know, if you if you go and spend a little bit of time finding one more spot each time, and then all of a sudden you've got this little quiver of spots that you can go to, and it doesn't take you know, not every time is going to be successful searching new ground, but when it is, geez, it's rewarding. We've got local guys here like Trevor Ketchin and Tim McDonald, and those guys seem to froth on finding new ground just as much as they froth on finding good fish. In fact, I oh, think they dive to light up. Yeah. Well, yeah, and they, they, I think they just love dropping down, seeing a whole bunch of life, chucking mm. a mark on it, and it's like, you know, keeping a present in the in the sack instead of, you know, because I don't know, there's a scarcity mindset that some of us are guilty of too. It's like, all oh, this fish here, I've got to shoot them, shoot them, shoot them, shoot them, and it's like, well, why not just take one? Yeah, there's plenty of fish left. Go to the next reef, you know. Like, yeah. But it's I don't know. There's let's be honest. There's a there's a there is a there's a thing within us I think sometimes that, that drives us to do that like um, have you had those battles yeah yeah absolutely I think everyone goes through that stage where and uh, people get ownership over places as well um, but yeah you, you, you'll hit a spot and and it's good and you think it's not going to be good next week I'll, I'll get a few more or, or someone else might come here today and, and get those fish and that's that's a big thing we're trying to change around here is that culture of, of taking more than you really need and I understand that some people travel and they want to get a few fish to take home because they've come from down south or whatever, but um, how much fish do you really need? Um, I, I try not to say anything to most people unless I think they've gone well over the top, but you see some of the death piles <laughs> that people send you and say, we got this off coughs and I just think, oh, it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> you don't need that many fish. And, and you know, some of these guys are up here every month or every two months and I don't know, I ate a lot of fish and I couldn't eat that in a month. Hey Shrek, Jeremy here man, I'm back. Just 
wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to say thank you for your uh, continual support from the Noob Sparrow listeners, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick ass, and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the next edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. Tommy, we've been rudely interrupted. Adam Stern is joining us. Um, as usual, he's tardy, but um, he's he's woken from his abalone slumber. Super late. Wakey, wakey! Uh, it's it's Adam Stern. Adam, we're easily forty-five minutes into this interview. Welcome along. Get out of it. Do you know what I've been up to? I totally. I'm in South Australia, and I forgot about the time difference. <laughs> out, we were cray diving, and it was bloody excellent. Wow, I feel like an absolute dickhead. Um. <laughs> it's all good. I felt like you were you had deliberately done it so that Tom Tom would have to do a, a full yeah, solo. No one. Well, I know how much Tom loves talking. He does. <laughs> he does. Um, interestingly, though, like uh, Tom did the instructors course with you last week. You you did. Mm-hmm. You had twelve people along. Um, I would like to hear. Uh, like it's good timing, actually. I'd love to hear a bit about the experience of the instructor's course because I plan to do it myself. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not approaching the dive fitness that Tom's already told me about, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but tell me about the 12 people you had and the personalities and the, the challenges that people had. Well, uh, look, I'll be honest with you, it was probably the best, like as far as dive diving ability goes, it was the best instructor course I ever taught. So the, the, the challenge with this group was really taking what I was kind of feeling like was they're all very like, you know, rough cut diamonds, right? Like everyone was, was like an experienced good diver, but they, they basically had very little to no formal free diving education. Um, so like uh, all the safety levels were very low, all the sort of, like, uh, I suppose, like the training procedures was just like, we had to start everything from scratch. Like, you know, this is how you dive on a line. This is how you keep someone else safe while we're diving on a line. Um, this is, a, this is a safe diving progression. You know, we had some people like, oh, you know, I did 30 meters yesterday. I want to do 40 today. And I was like, well, no, that's not safe. <laughs> You've got to get there gradually, buddy. Um, so, uh, but the other, th- the great thing about having really experienced divers was that you could give feedback and they would take it on board straight away. Right. So usually, you know, someone comes up from a dive, you're like, Hey, and they're like, oh, you know, I don't know. My equalization wasn't working. La di da di da. And you give them the feedback they need, and it takes them like a day or a, or a few dives to um uh, to apply it. Mm. Um, but uh, in in this in this instance, you would give them the feedback, and they would they would take it on board and adapt and kind of respond to the feedback instantly. And so they were they were they they progressed incredibly quickly. Mm-mm-mm. It was great. And I think we spent probably more time than I usually would on theory, just catching everyone up on theory and they're really hammering in the theory. We did it so much that they started to hate me for it. Um, <laughs> but paid off, didn't it? Oh my God. You should have seen them smashing out their presentations at the end, you know, teaching us all about freediving physiology. Um, it was great. They were, they were honestly like a really rock solid group. And I feel like we've just sent like, a whole lot of really great instructors out into the world. Really great asset asset for all the clubs around as well. Like the the group of people that came along, um, and uh, I think we touched on this over the two weeks. Not 
every instructor is good for everyone. And so we had a really diverse group. And so everyone in the spearfishing community is going to be able to find a really great mentor out of the group of people that came along. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think it's a really good start to the little project. This is awkward for me, Tom. Um, you've pretty much gone changed 180 degrees since Adam arrived. Before, all I heard was negativity about Adam and his personality and his diving and the whole course in general. So I'm happy he's here now to provide some accountability to you. He's hard well, work I'm going to listen to the podcast, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Tom, i got you back. I'll edit it out, bro. That'll just be our private episode. No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, cool. So... Um, so you've mentioned sort of some of the safety and stuff. There was equalising things, like a lot of like spearfishing. Like, yeah, I mean, last time I chatted with you, Adam, I was having my brain blown by relatively simple equalising techniques just because I haven't dived the depths that, you know, most average freedivers have. So yeah, sure. was it similar with a lot of the instructors or did they adapt to the new equalising techniques and, and taking on depth? Did they acclimatise to depth quite quickly? What were some of the struggles with that? Look, they, they definitely acclimatise the depth quite quickly. And as, as for like, you know, throwing out some what are seemingly basic or seemingly common uh, equalisation techniques that, you know, made a world of change, they were able to basically, like I was kind of saying before, just like take it on board really quickly um, and then, you know, use it to, to really go deep. I actually, I had, uh, you know, two of the divers learnt how to do mouthfeel equalisation probably faster than anyone else I've ever had before. Wow. Um, it was a really impressive group, honestly. Like not even blowing smoke up their asses. Mm. Uh, it's a really impressive group. If anything, they all need to have, you know, like they all need to have themselves taken down a peg or two, right? Like it's probably good for them. But no, they were honestly a really great group. <laughs> Who was the funniest? Who was the funniest in the group? The funniest in the group? Um, yeah, Yusuf. Yeah, Yusuf from uh, what? What club is from Yusuf from Tom? From the Barracudas. Yusuf Dib. Yusuf um, Dib from the Barracudas is a character like you've never met. Before. Yeah, right. Awesome. You've got to have them, eh? You've got to have yeah, them along. 100%. You need that range of personalities, but they can't all be funny bastards because otherwise you get nothing done. Well, that's, I mean, like Tom, you know what? Tom, Tom was just never stopped cracking jokes. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like- <laughs> I turned up and thought, how on earth am I going to spend two weeks with these people? They, they were talking constantly. And <laughs> I thought we were going to have major dramas but everyone was pretty good it was yeah, he told me that he thought he was going to roll up at him and he was going to have guys like you like ponytails like looking like 80s henchmen from like 80s martial art henchmen whoa, 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 he was worried whoa, about he was worried about the yoga vibe <laughs> you know I'll, I'll i will let you know that i had a man bun well before it was trendy have you still right? got one i can't even see it oh, he's yeah. Got it. Does. yeah yeah oh, thing. um you know, I had a man bun for a long time, and then all of a sudden they became this cool, trendy, hipster thing, and then I thought very long and hard about um, cutting it off because obviously you don't want to be confused as a hipster, right? Like that's a really serious thing really, really happen to you for someone to think you're a hipster. Did you supply um, like um, extension ones for Tommy and, and some of the other guys? I offered it, but not everyone took me up on the offer. So I offered Tom. I also don't have the hair to keep the extensions onto her. <laughs> Just welded on. <laughs> ah, awesome. Ah, um, so what's the plans in the future for these courses? Are they going to be – is this going to be an annual thing, Adam, where you just churn out cash and train up bulk instructors? I'd like to, to be honest with you. Um, so, one, okay, so, I mean, this project was was 
kind of important for a few reasons. Um, number one, there are a lot of junior divers joining the spearfishing clubs in Australia and they, they like, look, most of the time, a freediving course costs 500 bucks, right? Most of these juniors are a kind of for themselves and their parents are usually not going to shell out $500 for them to go and take a freediving course. Um, and so we really wanted to make sure that all the juniors got covered. Like, so everyone that come, came to these spearing clubs, there would be someone there to teach them how to dive safely and teach them how to dive well. So that was, that was the most important thing. And then after that, we had like, I suppose there's an environment right now where you have a lot of, of Spiros learning to freedive or taking freediving courses from freediving instructors who don't spearfish. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, teaching a Spiro on a, like teaching, teaching a freediving course to a Spiro is very different than teaching a freediving course to a freediver. Mm. I mean, like, yes, we're holding our breath underwater, but everything else is different, right? <laughs> so it's super important for Spiros to learn, like to take courses or to learn to, to, to dive better or to improve their freediving with people who are Spiros first and freedivers second. Mm. That's, that's how they're going to be diving. They are, they are Spiro first and, and you know, the freediving element is the breath hold and the diving. So, so that, was a, that was really important for me so we could actually get Spiros being taught by Spiros. Um, yeah, and then, you know, there were a few other, I suppose, like benefits to doing things like this, but those are the two major ones. Uh, and in general, you know, uh, you know, improving this sort of like, uh, I suppose, like the education level uh, at the Spearing Clubs. Because the truth is, is that, that knowledgeable divers are safe divers. You know what I mean? Like very few people find out about all the shit that can kill them and they go out and still dive in the same way, right? So- <laughs> 100%. You're exactly right. But it's like everything, we, we don't really think specifically about what can actually happen and what do I need to do to mitigate this risk. Tom and I were chatting about it earlier. Yeah. For sure. There are some people. There are some people you teach all the shit that can kill them, and they still go out there and do it. Those people yeah, and that's the one of the beauties of our world, though. We can we have this this right, this personal freedom to choose to do what we like, and all, all we're really trying to do is influence people to make better decisions and better choices for themselves. That's right. And in the end, if they don't listen, Darwin will get them. Yeah, <laughs> we got the Darwin Awards, don't we? So it's a wonder I haven't made it. It'll be, it'll be another tool to bring people along to to clubs and create this community as well i think if we're all together as as spiros it benefits everyone and it's just another uh, tool to bring people together as well i think tom and i'd love your comment on this and adam yeah it'd be great to get your 10 cents too but it seems to my mind like when you learn spearfishing freedive spearfishing there's a few active components to it there's these we've got the freediving side of it then there's the hunting side of it and then there's the equipment side of it. And I feel like now what you guys are doing is um, spearfishing clubs now will, will be able to hopefully cater to some of that freediving education and learning and learning some of the, mm. the tactile and kinesthetic skills that go along with it, not just theory. And then if, if guys go to their local spearfishing retail shop, like a specialist retailer, they can learn a, lo- a lot about the gear and equipment. And, and most retailers are only too happy to show you that stuff. The other sort of component now that guys um, can learn on to all of that is the hunting side and I would argue that it's better to learn hunting sometimes third because at least by then you've began to uh, to um, adopt relaxed body position and all the rest of it because you're comfortable holding your breath so it's That's kind of a, a nice logical progression isn't it and if you've got the foundations yeah. of equipment and free diving then the hunting is a nice that's the next bit you know that's the next progression and hot tip 
yeah. most hunting techniques involve being relaxed and calm underwater. There's a, that's about the extent of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's more to it than that. But if you can be no, definitely. laying on the bottom relaxed, you, you've won half the battle. Yeah. You guys have done some spearing together too, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I've missed plenty of good fish. Adam, Adam's a spectacular spearer. Tell us a good um, Tell us a good story Tom Like maybe there's a 50 kilo fish And and you gently guided Adam Down by the hips to the fish And he still somehow did something Have you got one of those stories for me Sorry I lost you there for a second Let me just turn my camera off He wants to know He wants to know If you've got a good story About me being um, A shit spiro (laughs) (laughs) Um no, Adam's been been pretty good. There's been a, a couple times where um, we've we've run into trouble with um, fish identification. Um, we, ooh, <laughs> ooh. we were we were at a pretty well known spot around here for um, mangrove jack and um, I a red bass. Oh, no. I don't know. We, we we weren't there that long, but we put quite a few drops in on the spot, and there were good fish in the cave and. Um, this shadow comes out of the depths and, and Adam has a big grin on his face and I was like, that's a big jack. That's a really good fish and it gets closer and closer. And I think we've all, I mean, we don't always pull the trigger, but we've all all, all had made this mistake of seeing a big wong in a cave and thinking that's a big jack. And um, yeah. and then you go, oh, hang on, it's a wong. But it, yeah, Adam gets to the surface and he's pretty pleased with himself and we had to give him the bad news that he just shot a big blubber, big sweet lip. And uh, it wasn't actually a jack. <laughs> that was um, that was pretty good. And then him and Matty O, when we went chasing dollies, I think went maybe two two fish for two dozen shots or something. That was <laughs> that was another fun day. How much fun are they, Adam? When you shoot them for the first time, they go ballistic. They do, they do. Actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, dolphin fish was the first fish I ever shot. Yep, yep. I, I, a mate of mine took me out the fads and he was like, put the gun in my hand. He was like, all right, just shoot one. I was like, okay. <laughs> but, like, you've got a float line. Sometimes you've got a real line and then you might be diving around a fad, which is sticking out, and then you've got great opportunities there to get some tangles. And the fish, mm. it doesn't seem to matter where you shoot them. They just – somehow they're going to pull air and your float line's going to end up tangled and, oh, jeepers, you can have some fun with them. Yeah, no, they're great. They're a great fish. Mm. What's your what's your PB on one? And have you had have you had some of these tangles I'm talking about? No, uh, no to be absolutely honest, I haven't. Um, it's always been pretty simple when I shot a dolly, um, but I have I, I, I've never shot a big bull. You know what I mean? I've never shot a, a big dolly. The biggest dolly I ever shot was actually the first one I ever shot, and I couldn't even tell you how big it was because it was like my first time spearing. Um, but I remember being pretty bloody impressed with myself. So. <laughs> Like, like hunting dolphin fish seems relatively simple, you know. Like they're not very smart. They you don't have to really free dive at all. You just shoot them. But mm. the systems that guys um, develop in terms of you know the, the lines they they put with the boat and the, and where they put you in the water and how you can work it really smart together. Like I dive with um, a couple of guys, local guys, and I was watching them just. Like, and after we had done it for two hours, I was like, holy shit, you guys were good. Like, <laughs> just because it was so organised and, and they really maximised your opportunities. So it was cool. They, they can be pretty easy to shoot if you're the first boat there, but if you're not the first boat there, you, 
yeah. it takes a bit of work to get a bigger dolly. Yeah, and but when you motor up on drifts and stuff, you know, if you cut a wider line and you do it at low revs, you're gonna you're not gonna spook the school, they're not gonna sound and and head off. So you might get a few more passes and you know, just yeah, just simple stuff like that. I, I really mm. you know, like being ready to go on the back of the boat and um just slipping quietly into the water and bang, there they all are. Like just little stuff. It was cool. Have you seen young Corbin's fish that he's been getting with us? I think I have. What did he get a what was, what did he get last? Oh, he, he got a fourteen kilo kingy last time with us. Um he he's I think he's twelve or thirteen now and he's all of forty kilos ringing wet and he um punches well above his weight. <laughs> Fantastic. He's gonna be a gun little spiro. Mm. Okay, so back to the, the instructor's course. You had 10, 10 days. What's the sort of the, the rough plan to a 10-day instructor's course? Um, so what we actually did was um, we did a wave three course uh, over seven days, and then we did an instructor course over seven days. So usually an instructor course on its own is 10 days, but what we did instead was we did heaps of the theory that we would have done remotely, so we did it like beforehand, like with like with Zoom, eh? Just like we're doing now. Um, so we did a lot of stuff with Zoom beforehand, so we could get there and, and pretty much just focus on the practical stuff. Um, mostly because it was, you know, people getting time off work and things like that. Um, so the way it kind of breaks down is we turn up, well, you know, like we we get there and ideally we try to just smash out the performance requirements. So the performance requirements are. That, like they they're they're hard enough that you need to be training seriously to 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 do them um and at the same time they like because the window to do them is is quite small they need to be quite like uh you can't be struggling to reach them does that make sense like there's enough of the performance requirements there's there's something like seven major performance requirements that you have to do and so if each one of them is really hard for you there's no chance in hell that you will finish them in the in the short window that we have so that you have to be quite fit and you have to be able to do them with ease and then in an ideal world, everyone just bang, 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 does all the performance requirements. And we spend most of the time uh, focusing on teaching, like how, how we actually teach people to dive, all the little nuances. Um, and then we have to, because it's, a, because it's a course and we have to make sure we pump out a certain standard, uh, then we do all the exams. So, you know, there's literally, like, we get them to teach, uh, like, you know, certain topics, you know, to, like, as, if, and, as if we were students in the classroom. We get them to teach certain topics in the water, on the buoy. We get them to teach certain stuff in the pool. Like, you know, introduce, you know, introduce all, like, I suppose, all the, the major skills that we need to learn on a course. And, and that, that, that's pretty much it, to be honest, you know. So we, we have like, um, you know, I suppose if you were to break up what an instructor course really entails, you have, uh, I suppose, you te- most of the time is spent teaching people how to teach. Then you examine them on how well they teach. <laughs> and then in amongst that, you do all the performance requirements. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like um, some people can be fantastic divers but terrible teachers. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> who was the best natural teacher in the group? <laughs> All right, the best natural teacher in the group. And why? The- and why? And why? My, so it was Rexanne Hilliam from Tom, which club is she from? From mm. Sydney Spiros Spearfishing Club or something like that. Yeah, she, from, yeah, yeah, she from Sydney Spiros, Rexanne Hilliam was the best natural teacher because she was the most structured, as in you could, you could give her any topic and she could introduce it in a really simple way that makes sense to anyone. She'd explain it in, in just its absolute simplest form, you know, not too complicated, not too convoluted, really simple. 
and then she'd summarize it all up at the end and bang, there you go. Mm. And she had a formula for it. And that's, and that's what a lot of the time, what we're really trying to teach when we're talking about teaching information. It's like, how do you take what is effectively a lot of really complex stuff and just simplify it so that, so that anyone can, can basically pick it up and understand. Uh, and she was. Yeah, to really far understand everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, just, she's obviously really intelligent woman and just had her head around it all. And I think it goes to show when you know what you're talking about. She's going to be really good for the Sydney crew, I think. Yeah, she will. Yeah. Like a really good we, asset in Sydney. Yeah. When we first started, um, they weren't as familiar with like all the kind of like materials as I suppose I wanted them to be. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm like, all right, everyone get up, get up in front of each other, start presenting. And they're just like, you know, we had some presentations that were just like, you know. <laughs> I, don't know. I remember oh, teaching teaching my, my first English classes, like English is a second <laughs> language. And uh, I had my mentor sitting there in the back seat and she's just got her head down like this, like. Just face palming me, eh? And I just, and like the 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 worse I taught, the faster I spoke. And then I'm looking at all these like beginner, intermediate level English speakers, and they're just like deer in headlights. And here's me all sweating and red and stuff. And like <laughs> e- e- even with something that you know fairly well, like you think, oh yeah, I know how to spearfish, I know how to free dive. Yep, no worries, I can I can teach. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. When the rubber hits the road, the the actual like it's it's a different experience. Like the connections that you think you have in your head, um, actually being able to explain them, even if you're like high on verbal intelligence, like it seems to be a real difficult skill. I mean, d- definitely. Like you have to. T- you, what you have, like, you know, we okay. So you, you think to yourself, okay, I can dive, I can spearfish, I can teach that, I can tell someone else how to do it. But then when you really come down to it, like what, what you need to first start is with the foundation, right? Like, so like what is essential for these people to know before we can move on to the next step, mm. jumping in the water? And what tends to happen when people uh, don't have a lot of experience with it or when, when they haven't put a lot of thought into how and what they're going to teach, they just start going like, oh, they start rambling and saying, oh, they, they, they pull something that, you know, is well above the foundations at the top of the house. If we make it, let's make a house metaphor, right? They start teaching the roof and then they're like, oh, here's some walls and here's some foundation and here's a window as opposed to going from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, <laughs> I think it's kind of natural. I think that, you know, I, I think, to be honest, that um, free diving, like, like breath holding and breath hold diving is incredibly simple. But over the, uh, over the decades, as we've had, you know, freediving instruction and education, we found ways that is obviously like better and safer to teach things mm. and, and knowing, like, I suppose, what is the best and easiest road to walk someone down to make them the best diver they can be in the shortest period of time is, is more of a, I swear, that's the skill if that makes sense, right? Like anyone can teach something. It's about teaching it well. <laughs> do you think, do you think like, Tom, I'd love your thought on this. Like if, do you think it's easiest to teach someone who's just a level or half a level below you? Because then the learning that you've done to, 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 to be one up on them, if you like, is so recent that you can actually remember that experience for yourself. So you can kind of walk them through some of the, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. whereas when you go right 100%. back to the very start, forget, yeah, sorry, you go. You forget how little they know. It's um, it's really hard. Or I find it's really hard to to take those few steps back, and you'll say, "Do this or whatever," and they'll t- you'll turn around and be like, "Oh, oh, I've forgotten how little you know." 
all right, let's take it back a few steps. Whereas if, you know, that person's not so far behind, you've just been there and it's really easy because they, they, they understand as well because you're explaining it a little better because you were just there. Um, yeah. That's where I guess with all Adam's experience, he sort of knows where to start and stop with people. And um, like I said earlier, he doesn't do much but does so much at the same time. Like he just knows those little nudges to give you and yeah. points you in the right direction. And it, it seems really effortless, but um, he obviously knows what direction he's steering you. He actually, on the first day, I don't think anyone dived past 20 metres because we couldn't because Adam got in our head and told us all these things we were already doing and we are all thinking about all these things we were already doing and all of a sudden none of us could dive. <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah. Um, made us all look really silly. But then um, a, a day or two later he goes, okay, this is why we did this to you. And then all of a sudden everyone was – Kicking and ripping, and there's and, a there's a bit of pop psycho there's a bit of pop psychology involved too, isn't there? Oh, definitely. I, sp- I think what Tom's talking about is is we, we did a little bit of um missed, we missed me argued them. We were doing some wax on wax off, and they're sitting there like, why am I waxing on and waxing off? And then I just you know me argued them, and then yeah. all of a sudden you had a block of punch. You struck you know? me more as like that master Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, like, just from listening to Tom talk about how you were teaching them, like, giving a person a nudge and allowing them to learn themselves, and it's very empowering. When you overwhelm someone with information and then you have to further grade your language and give them a simpler analogy, it has the effect of making people feel stupid or dumb. And um, Mm -hmm. when someone is a very good teacher, they just make you feel like you're clever and they, they're looking at you going, you're just learning real basic stuff here, bro, but they never make you feel like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I a lot of the time when you when I talk to really experienced Spiros on the on the podcast, their knowledge is like, like way up there. Like I can't even ask them the right questions to access some of their knowledge. But 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 getting them to try and communicate some of the concepts to a grassroots level, they've forgotten what they've learned. It's that unconscious mm. competence. You know, and um, it's it's a it's a real rough skill. So I, d- I don't envy you guys, uh, Tom. Yeah, there's there's a lot to learn on on how to teach, and um, yeah, like even even our first training night back after the two weeks there it was just like, oh shit, this is running smoothly already. Man, you know, I've got a long way to go, but just worked out what to say and when to say it a little better than I than I did mm-hmm. before. Um, what did you start to enjoy teaching? Was there a topic that you started to think? okay, I've got a little bit of a structure here. I've got a bit of a thing going on. This is maybe something I can work off. I don't think there was any one particular topic. I think the stuff that you actually really knew was good to teach, but the stuff that we were learning was really hard. Um, I, I found it, if there, was, wasn't some, if there was something that I didn't have my head around, I found it really hard to articulate anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you just need to know what you're talking about and, and then, yeah, and then you can do it. If you don't, 100% fully understand everything, then, then you're not going to do a very good job. Do you think you're going to enjoy teaching? To be completely honest, this isn't something that I want to do for me to continue teaching. I'm going to continue doing what I do in my own club. Yeah. And I, I certainly will do a little bit, but it's more for – I just think it's a really valuable tool for, for the spearfishing community to have. And um, Angus, who came down with me from our club, is – going to be quite good I think and then um, 
uh, Jordan and Ellie, who were on the Tweed, but they're sort of between Coffs and the Tweed. They're going to be a really good asset on the East Coast. There's going to be a Ballina Club popping up, so they'll be helping out those guys, I imagine. Um, and I think those two together, Jordan's a bit of a surfer lad and Ellie's um, super athletic chick who hasn't been diving for very long, but is just an absolute weapon. And I think she's um, going to be quite good at teaching and um yeah, cool. We're going to have all these little power couples popping up in all the clubs around the place um, and, and they'll turn into these little mentors for each little club. And um, Like you sort of said too, like not not you're not going to like and, and get along and, and, and be best suited to every instructor and not every instructor is going to teach everything the same and, you know, your your way of teaching Tom is, is going to be different, you know, like you've already learned a way of, of handing on your skills and knowledge to people. It might just be, a, 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 you know, you've just up, upskilled, I guess, by doing the instructors and um, mm-hmm. and learned a little bit more of the formal stuff behind it. Yeah. yeah. I think as well that um, I suppose like the, the goal of what we did wasn't necessarily to like make a whole bunch of freediving instructors that are going to go out there and make businesses or, or like just pump out courses here or there. It was, it was really to just increase the level of education and the availability of education to the spearing clubs. You know what I mean? Um, I was actually, I was actually, um, uh, I got an email today uh, from uh, the head of the Australian Water Federation um, and I was CC'd into a conversation he was having with someone else. And he was basically just saying like, there is not a question that the training that just happened will save lives. Um, and I was like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> you know, over the years it will like, you know, that knowledge will filter down through the clubs and we'll do it again to make more knowledge filter down through the clubs. Yep. And it, it, it goes down, uh, it goes down to every, every member there. And then we, we establish a, a, a spearing community with more knowledge and safer practices because that's the other thing is like the spearing the, like the, the 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 culture in the spearing community is not not i don't think it's a very safe one in my opinion right so in in freediving we've worked very hard to establish a safety or a culture of safety um and i think that uh, not all of it but i think a lot of it needs to start being applied to spearing and i think it will as we keep doing things like this um you know, because like uh, spear, I mean, in, but and also in general, spearfishing is a lot more dangerous than freediving, right? Like, there, everything you do in freediving is totally planned. Like, I am going to swim to this depth. It will take me this long. Come and meet me at this depth and watch me swim up the rest of the way. And if I get into trouble, you know, wake me up. <laughs> Whereas spearing is like, I'm going to go down to whatever depth. I don't know what I'm going to see. I don't know what's going to happen when I shoot whatever fish might be there. <laughs> And we're in current. We're in current. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like the visibility is like variables all the time. Yeah, yep, for sure, for sure. Yeah, culture shift. I think is a big thing. Hopefully, mm. to come out of this. Mm, definitely. One of the things I want to discuss uh, with some of the governing bodies around spearfishing is um, becoming more user base focused. So, like comps are always going to be there. Comps great. There's comp divers, a lot of people like comp diving. There's a huge proportion of Spiros that, that don't like comp diving and maybe they, they could be introduced to comp diving. I'm not saying that they're, they're averse to it, but at the moment they are and what other reasons do they have for joining a spearfishing club? You know, like a lot of Spiros, like they love it, they froth on it, they just want to shoot dinner for their family, they're not interested in competing. It's more of a, a hunter or even more of a trophy 
um, hunting mindset than it is a, mm. a, a competitive mindset. And so, but helping those guys to develop skills and relationships that can help them, you know, extend their spearfishing, I think that's a huge um, thing that clubs could tap into, you know, filling some of those needs. So yeah, sure. this is a huge part of that, I think. Yeah, I think, I think um, among the spearfishing community that's not involved with clubs, um, the, the, the model of a club comp is like people just think it's gross. Um, a little bit of it comes from not quite being educated on what's going on, but um, I can also understand where these people are coming from. And um, I, I think comps do need to be reassessed, um, particularly in places like Sydney that are under a huge amount of pressure. Um, we, we've, we've restructured our club comps and you, we've got our species list and throughout the entire year, you're only allowed to shoot two of any of those species. Um, so instead of going out and shooting, you know, you, you handful of goaties and, and uh, fusies and kingies and, and all the easy fish that you can shoot every single comp, um, you can only shoot two of them for the entire year. So you've got to work through your list and be really selective on what you shoot. And um, we're, we're finding it to be hugely beneficial to the club because more people are interested in the comp now. Because a lot of people don't want to go out and shoot those fish because they don't, they don't want to eat them or, or they can't eat that many fish in, a, in, in that sort of period of time. So um, it's, you know, people are becoming greener, I guess. Um, we need to think a little, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to radically change things, but we just need to think a little more to the left sometimes. I don't, I don't want to change things completely, but we just need to be a little bit more aware of, of people's attitudes. Yeah. I think most Spiros um, identify with being sustainable fishermen though. So I think that's, you know, it's a direction that most people will, you know, I suppose be happy to adopt or, you know, be happy to go in, but but also, Tom, you, you said that um, in the Coffs, uh, in, your, in your spearing club, that there are no longer any singles competitions as well. Yeah, well, no, we're, we're, we're starting to phase them out. Yeah. Mm. Um, There's still, still a single comp, um, but we're, we're trying to push towards pairs as, as the, the new norm um, with some pushback, but we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, changing and sh- shaping culture and doing things for the future, so it's not without its uh, challenges, that's for sure. I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Darcy while I remember. Um, he put me onto this episode on a podcast called The Outflow, and it's all about the yellowtail kingfish fishery in Australia. And uh, I tell you what, I... I learned a shitload in, in about 90 minutes. Like, that is a quantifier in Australia, as you're familiar with, Adam. I saw you smile. Um, but these guys just cover the fishery in depth. I'd love to see more and hear more conversations about things like that too, you know, like you know, these some of these competitions and stuff, if they had uh, someone come in and do a deep dive on one particular species, we talk about, um, you know, age of uh, reproduction begins, you know, mm. why we have the size and bag limits that we do, things like that, how to think more cleverly about seasons and um, spawning periods and all that sort of stuff. I, I like geeking out and learning about fish. I, I think most spearers are, are keen on learning those sorts of things as well. And as, a, as it has a flow-on effect of making us all think more intentionally about it all. Yeah, um, absolutely. We've got um, Aaron Puckeridge and his mate from uni 
can't remember his name, Hayden, maybe uh, uh, studying a bunch of the fish from the Blue Water Classic this year um, or will have done it by the time this comes out. Um, and so hopefully we'll have some interesting results on on what they've gathered from the fish that are taken during the Classic. Um, and it's going to affect, well, they're studying more than just that. I think they, they're looking at uh, the tourism benefits and all that sort of thing. But um, bag limits and size limits are something that have been talked about quite a lot around here at the moment um, by spearfishing and line fishing clubs. And uh, I think we might see a review on a few different things in the, in the coming months, which I welcome, but I don't think some people will welcome. But I think, yeah, the, the bag limits around here are a little bit dated. Is Adam competing in, your, in the Blue Water Classic? It's going to, but I don't think he's going to have time now. He's going to be down. No, the- I, I want to. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Mount Gambier in South Australia at the moment. Um, I. How long are you there for? I'm here till Friday. Okay. Yes, That's tomorrow. No, next Friday. Oh, okay. I fly in. I think I come in on the Sunday. Why are you going? You turning up late? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the Adam Sellers uh, air cut. Uh, Benkenstein one. I'm, yeah. I'm doing my stage two. I'm way back down a couple of levels from Tom. But hold on, you, you, if, you're, if that's the case, you should be coming before the weekend, right? Well, I'm, I'm planning to do my instructors with you in the future, but I need to get up to some sort of semblance of a respectable level before then. No, what I'm saying is I'm going to be here when you get here. Oh, you're going to be here? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm coming next Saturday, Sunday. I'll be there. Sunday week. Uh, I think I'll be here. Okay. I think so. Anyway. We'll be having beers. <laughs> we'll be having beers. Hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I, I would. I wanted to go to the Blue Water Classic. Uh, but yeah, because I'm going to be leave. Yeah, I'll be leaving here on the twentieth. Um, so I think I'll be leaving here on the day it actually starts. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm excited about this initiative, guys. Well done for um, for just getting it up off the ground. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it in the future as it sort of slowly unravels because um, it's a complex thing, like um, doing taking on a project like what you guys have done. And um, but it's cool. You've got a you've got a an entire country of people that are open to it. I'm sure. And um, hopefully the podcast just gets the message out there a little bit that um, some of these things are coming on the radar and. It'd be great if we can get um, all the governing bodies in on it, and uh, and yeah. this can be something something that becomes standardised. Yeah, and if anyone well, mate, that would be the dream, reach out. Cool, um, Tommy. They can find you at Tommy underscore Doz. Uh, so I'll link that up in today's show notes. If you go to noobspiro.com forward slash, what are we going to do? Instructor. We can we can do. Repaired ball sack. <laughs> <laughs> How about newspirit.com forward slash Tommy, T O M M Y. And uh, I'll have the, the Tommy Tommy's socials uh, as well as Adam's. If you're having any inquiries about freediving courses or doing your instructors, Adam's got a host of uh, phenomenal freediving resor- resources there. And uh, I'm sure Tommy will be happy to answer any of your questions about what we've mm. chatted about today. But awesome, gentlemen. Really cool to catch up with you. Yep. Thank you. And shout out to Adam's instructors who helped out with us, Max and Lynn. They were bloody legends and put in hours and hours with the guys, getting them up to scratch with all the theory. So another big thanks to them. Awesome, boys. Over and out.
Hey guys, I hope you're as excited as I am about this new initiative, rolling out freediving courses to noobs in spearfishing clubs with, you know, really well regarded um, spearos in these clubs. I think it's absolutely cool and I'm frothing about it. It was awesome that Tom and Adam came and joined me. Thanks, fellas. Um, in two weeks, we're coming back for 101 Tight Ass Spiro. This is a this is a really cool chat. Trevor Kitchen comes and joins me. We do a livey and uh, we've got voicemails and emails and tips from the community. Trevor and I share our philosophy on gear and how to save money in the right places. If you're a noob and you're just buying your first set of gear, you're going to save hundreds of dollars. Um, but even if you're experienced, there might be a couple of things in here. And as usual, your input is always welcome at noobspero.com. You can comment on show notes or in the noobspero community on Facebook. Come and do so. As usual, if you love the show, I'd love it if you become a patron listener. Go to patreon.com forward slash noobspero. You can do that. Or go to noobspero.com, head up into the about section, and there is a buy us a beer page where you can also donate some cash if you want it. But there's no obligation to do so. Keep loving the show, sharing the stoke, share this show with your mates. As usual, it's always appreciated. That's it for me today. Super long-winded, but I'm out. Today's new Spiro podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. For your next piece of spearfishing equipment, head to adreno.com.au. Enjoy flat rate shipping Australia-wide. There's a huge range of gear, and you can save $20 on every purchase over $200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Better yet, drop into their Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, or Perth megastores. There's another one on the way, by the way. Use the code NoobSpiro to save in-store or online at adreno.com.au. Boom. Today's Noob Spirit podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. For US divers, Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all of your spearfishing essentials. They've got free shipping on every order over $99. Now you can use the Noob10 code to save 10% off anything and everything store-wide. 10% off store-wide. Use the code Noob10 at Neptonics.com. Boom. Boom.